0: We're excited uh, that you're here. We've been in a teaching series out of the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're going to be in Matthew um, chapters uh, 3 and 4. Lots of stuff happening uh, in, uh, in Matthew's Gospel. In, uh, in chapters 3 and 4, Jesus is choosing some disciples. In, in chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus' big teaching, the Sermon on the Mount begins and goes from multiple chapters. Um, in three and four, Jesus uh, uh, has temptation, is tempted in the desert after his baptism. And the test is a test of his sonship. Are you really the son of God? Can you prove it? Also in chapters, chapters three and four, uh, we meet another preacher. And really in chapters three and four, we it's a story of two preachers. The first is this uh, wild man, Harry honey-eating preacher in the wilderness. Jesus, in the very next chapter, follows this preacher, and both of them, believe it or not, have the exact same sermon. In uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says that John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, began preaching, and his message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus, in chapter 4, verse 17, begins the exact same way. It says, from then on, Jesus began to preach. And he preached, repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's a simple message, and no doubt both both preachers elaborated on it. But I want you to see that, That even from the very beginning, everything hinged on this one sermon. Even later in Acts chapter 2 when Peter gives his Braveheart sermon. And it says the people are cut to the heart and they respond and they say, what should we do? Peter says the same thing. It's just three points. Repent of your sins. Turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is near. So I want to talk about those Three points today. This uh, this three point teaching. The very first point is repent of your sins. I looked up this word in, in, Greek. It's, um, in Greek. It's in Greek. It's in Greek. I can't pronounce it, so not going to tell you. But it's a Greek word, and the definition is to change your mind, to think differently, or to change. You're thinking, as in, I used to think one thing and now I think differently. As soon as I read that definition, my heart sank, frankly. Change our mind? Like, this is the first point of Jesus' first sermon in Matthew. It's John's sermon, too. The very first thing it says is that it says, Change your mind, change the way you think. And immediately, I'm trying to. I already tried to start substituting things. You know, change my mind. Couldn't I just? Um, couldn't I just show up at church more often? Can I just make a deal. Hey, I'll be at church this many Sundays a year. Or, or you know, like, like, couldn't I just say a special prayer? Wouldn't that? How about that? That that would be much easier. I'll just say a special prayer, or, or I'll even give more money anything but change my mind. Um, Let me demonstrate. How many of you here right now today are ready to change your mind? Uh, If I brought up some sushi right now and said, here's some sushi, how many of you are ready to change your mind? Uh, if we started talking college football and, and all of us have opinions about the University of Alabama college football, how many of you are ready to change your mind right now? You are ready to say they're not that bad? Um, let's get real serious. What about the president? Not gonna say which way you land. How many of you are ready to change your mind? You ready to think differently about him and his policies and the things that he wants? How many are ready to change your mind? Wow. Like, this is why I think I wished this sermon began a different way. Couldn't we just do something else? I will serve, let's take food to hungry people. That, sign me up for some of that. But that's not where he begins, and I think that's like like that's why this sermon is so important, and it's important because we don't like to change our minds. Uh, I had a, a like a thirty-minute long argument with uh, my my sister-in-law on my on my wife's side because, um, yeah, not this one. Um, because we were talking about my daughter was learning the new math. Have you heard about this? Have you heard the argument between the new math? And her argument was, we don't need any new math. What happened to the old math? What was so wrong? You know what I'm saying? Like, it turned into this whole thing. And, and there was no opportunity for the changing of the way she thinks or the way that I, you know what I'm saying? Like, like we're not good at changing our minds. And, and we don't like to think differently. The Jesus sermon, the very first preaching he ever says is, first, I want you to change your mind. And I'm thinking, in my experience, the the mind or the way we think is the last thing to change. So, if our minds are the last thing to change, um, and in my experience, that's what I see, I want us to start somewhere else. Uh, I think maybe real change begins not with our mind, but with our behavior. Let's talk about changing our behavior. Um, Sometimes people will say, you know, I'm really thinking about this new diet. I'm really thinking about losing weight. Like how how much weight does that hold with you? How much significance does that hold? As opposed to when someone comes to you and says, you know, I've been going to the gym three times a week. See, I, I think behavior is, is what's important. And, and I'll take action over intention every single time. Even in uh, Luke's account of, of this teaching of repent of your sins, the people ask, what should we do? And Luke says, look, if you have two shirts, I want you to give one to the poor. If you have extra food, I want you to share it with the hungry. Like, he immediately jumps into action and doesn't dwell much on intention. Even John the Baptist will go on and say in uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, just a few verses later, he will say, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turn to God. I think, and this is just my opinion, I think our behavior changes our minds more than our minds change our behavior. So I want you, as you think about repentance, to think about, okay, how can I change my behavior? And maybe one of the ways that you can change your behavior, or at least a good place to start, is to start by listening to others. So this is kind of the path of repentance. The path of repentance is a mind change facilitated by behavior change. And and I think a component of that is actually listening to others. This may be as difficult as changing our minds. How many businessmen and women make it to the top all by themselves? You guys know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... The most successful people you know, if you look closely, are surrounded by people who have been contributing to their life. They've been contributing to their success, to the change. And, and one of the things, if we are going to repent of our sins, one of the things I think we as a church need to recognize, and even as a as, as a community of Christians need to recognize, is that we can't do it alone. Um. There's a reason that Alcoholics Anonymous exist, right? Not very many have I met who have said, you know, I just turned away from alcohol. I did it all by myself. I didn't need anyone else. Most of us need others. We need a community of people that are speaking into our lives. Sometimes, and this happens in in Nashville and Franklin and Middle Tennessee, where everyone's a Christian. One of the things I run into sometimes when I say, hey, come check out our church, come check out our church. One response I get sometimes is, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Me and God, we're doing this thing together. We've, I, I've got it. We've got our own relationship. And in my head, I'm thinking, bull, because I don't think you can do this thing by yourself. I think you need others. In fact, scripturally, like it, it talks about us being the body of Christ. And, and it says one part can't say, you know, I'm doing this thing all by myself. I really don't need you. Right. I, I'm I'm doing this faith thing. I've got my relationship it's just my relationship with God. I don't really need you or or anything else. And and I don't think that's true at all. Like like we are the body of Christ coming together. I think isolation is where we're we're really going to have the biggest failure. And in your life, especially along this path of repenting of sins, you're going to need the body. You're going to need the gentle lips to speak words of encouragement into you. You're going to need the swift foot to kick you in the butt when you need it. You're gonna need thick skin to challenge you to suck it up. You're gonna need strong arms to lift you up when you fall. And you're gonna need bold hearts to hold you accountable to the changes that you wanna make in your life, to confront you and the lies you tell yourself. This is one of the reasons at Aspen Grove we push this idea of discipleship so much. If we are going to bring our lives into alignment With Christ, if if real change is going to happen, then real relationships, true accountability around the person of Jesus is going to be necessary. And if you want to change your mind, change the way you think, if you want to really take this path of repenting of your sins seriously, we all need someone to repent to. Right? So I think this path of of changing our minds begins with our behavior, but also it's about surrounding ourselves with awesome, godly men and women who can help change our behavior. And I don't think anyone makes this change. I don't think anyone repents in isolation or by themselves. So, The first point is, I I want you to repent of your sins. I want you to begin to change the way you think, change your mind. And the second point of this uh, two part sermon or three part sermon is, I want you to turn to God. There is intention in this change. It's not just turning from one thing to something else, and it's it's not just a path of of self improvement, but it is an intentional turn from sinfulness to God. So it made me think um, of an example, and and I, and so I need some help. Um, Katie Browning, hey, welcome home from college. Do you mind coming up here and help me? Awesome. Can you guys encourage her while she comes up here? This is Katie. She's awesome. Thanks for helping me. All right, Katie, I want you to come, and I want you to just stand right here, and I want you to face this way. As we talk about repentance and changing our mind, it, it says to turn to God. So literally turning from one direction to another direction. Even sometimes when I talk about repentance, is, I, I tell people it's like doing a 180 on a skateboard. It's You're going in one direction and now you turn around and you go the complete opposite direction. But there's a reason people don't want to do this. Uh, it, it sounds easy. Like, oh, okay, I'm going this way and I'm just going to turn to God. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to knock this thing out. I got it under control. But there's a reason we don't like doing this. Um, Katie, I, w- I want you to think of the worst thing you've ever done. The wor- I mean, like, I know we're in church, but I don't care. Worst thing you have ever done. Think about that. And while she's doing, it, while you're thinking about that, um, Johnny, can you come up here, Katie's mom? This is Johnny. We can encourage her to go ahead and come on up here. They didn't know they were participating today. So, Johnny, I just want you to just stand right here. Yep. Right there is perfect. Are you thinking mm-hmm. the worst thing you have ever done? So, like if if I gave you a microphone right now and just said, "I mean, we're all friends here, right?" Like, you'd, you'd just be okay to share that, right? Wouldn't feel weird. Wouldn't, the fact that your mom is standing right behind you. <laughs> I think I felt a little weird about it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, this is the part we don't like. You guys just hold that pose for a second. This is the part we don't like, right? Because we are so pre-programmed that if I confess, if I tell you what wrong I have done... Maybe it'd be different if if David stood up here instead of John, yeah, but like to imagine standing up here and and having the worst thing you've ever done and then being sharing that, confessing that, revealing that and then turning around and what do you think the response would be? Anger? Punishment? Hurt? Yeah, I mean there's a part of this like 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 what would we deserve, right? If we confess the worst thing we've ever done there, we, do, we don't deserve mercy, like I mean we would hope for, it, but we know that that this confession, this this turn is is tough and difficult and brings difficult stuff out of us. And if we offer this stuff up. What if what if we let somebody down? What if we cause them hurt and what if it means a punishment? It made me think of the the prophet Jeremiah. Um Jeremiah is not my favorite, and I have sworn on this stage that I will never preach the book of Jeremiah. No offense to the person in this church named Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet, very unique in the Old Testament. He shares shares more of his person, more of his self than any of the other prophets. Uh, He's very reluctant. He doesn't even want to be chosen for this job. God's given him this job. He doesn't want to be chosen. And his job is to take this message to Israel. And at, at this point in time, Israel and Judah are at their absolute worst. What's the worst thing you could ever imagine? That's what Israel and Judah have done at this time. It says that Uh, Even God says to Israel and Judah in Jeremiah that you've committed adultery against me. You've been worshiping idols and uh, uh, you've refused to listen to my voice. It gets so bad that the temple is destroyed, Jerusalem is destroyed, God's people are, are sent into exile. At one point in time in the story of Jeremiah, the people of God fall so far away that they have completely lost the Torah. They've lost the law. Imagine if just somehow we lost every Bible. Like it wasn't even around and no one remembered it or knew what it said or had anything to do. Like this is the worst case scenario and God sends Jeremiah. He says, I want you to go and talk to these people. I want want you to get these people who are in this position. They've turned away from me in every way imaginable. I want you to go and I want you to give these people a message. And you know what he says. Look what it says in uh, chapter three. In verse 19, it says, this is God's message being delivered through Jeremiah. He says, I thought to myself, I would love to treat you as my own children. I look forward to your calling me father. And I wanted you never to turn from me. He goes on in verse 12 of that same chapter says, O Israel, my faithless people. Look at those words in yellow. Come home to me again. For I'm merciful, I won't be angry with you. Again and again and again out of Jeremiah, the heart of God cries out for his people to return home. He says in verse 14, return home, you wayward children. I remember, I know what it feels like to stand over here by Katie and so I've committed all these horrible things and I've committed sin and and I've even chosen these things over the things of God. But God says, look, I want you to repent. Repent of your sins. I want you to turn to me. And so when Katie does that and she makes that turn to God, expecting punishment, expecting judgment, expecting pain, What does she find? Yeah. Go ahead. Just hold that pose. Hold that pose. Some of you don't believe this. You still think if I get how could God love me? How could he ask for me back? How could he how could he still after everything I've done, how could he still want me? Remember the three points of the sermon? Repent of your sins, turn to God, and John and Jesus both say for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, the kingdom of heaven isn't uh, castles and drawbridges. What if the kingdom of heaven, go ahead. (laughs) What if the kingdom of heaven looks like this? I think in a kingdom, a king gets what the king wants, right? A kingdom is where the king's will is Done. That's even Jesus' prayer and this whole big thing. And if the king is our father, doesn't he want what all parents want? You know what my parents want? My parents want all the kids and grandkids home for Christmas. They do. And it doesn't matter what they've done or what they haven't done doesn't matter if they've caused hurt or there's been contention. The family together, restored relationships. That's the kingdom Jesus prays for. Your kingdom come soon. Every homecoming, and maybe you guys have seen the videos, have you seen all the videos of the returning military soldiers showing up at schools and recitals and rehearsals, showing up and the kids are surprised and they break down in emotion and run into their mother and parents' arms. Every picture of homecoming is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. Are you with me? All right, let's give Katie and John a hand. They can go sit down. God's greatest desire is for his children to return home, for his family to be restored. It's why he sent his son and why Jesus prays, your kingdom come soon. Are you beginning to see why this simple three-part sermon is so important? why Matthew begins his gospel with these words. It begins John's ministry and Jesus' ministry as well. So we're going to do something a little bit different. In light of all of this, hopefully maybe your heart's beating a little bit more. In light of all of this, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And around the room, we have the elements of communion prepared on tables. And we encourage you to take these elements Elements representing Christ's uh, life and death. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. All of the promises of God are, are in these elements, and we, we want you to engage them and take them and enjoy them. Commune together as you share them. But also in this space, we wanted to create, and, and I feel like this teaching, maybe more than some others, necessitates a time of response. And so I'm going to invite our, our elders who are going to be around this room. Just to, we're going to just kind of sort of, I, I know it's uncomfortable, but we're just going to kind of sort of be up here across the front, some of our elders and myself, and we're just going to be here to receive you. If there's ways that we can pray for you or serve you, maybe you're ready to give your life to Christ through baptism, then, then we want to create that opportunity Because I I think when you really begin to think about this teaching of repenting of your sins, of turning to God, and realizing that God's kingdom is right here, arms open for you, I I think there is not a one of us that doesn't have some response. So I'm going to send you to this space in just a minute. But before I do, I want to share a few more words from Jeremiah. Remember, God's people have done the worst that they could possibly imagine. And Jeremiah says, O Israel, if you wanted to return to me, you could. You could throw away your detestable idols and stray away no more. He says, O people of Judah and Jerusalem, surrender your pride and power. Change your hearts before the Lord. And in chapter 4, verse 3, he says, I love this language. He says, plow up the hard ground of your hearts. In verse 2 of chapter 4, he says, my wayward children. My wayward children, come back to me, and I will heal your wayward hearts. And the people reply, yes, we are coming. I want you to know that today, today can be the turning point. God is calling you to repent of your sins, to turn towards him, to change your behavior, maybe surround yourself with new people, with godly people willing to hold you accountable and pray for you. To turn to God, because the kingdom of heaven is near. So let's pray, Father God. I thank you so much for your word and for its power. For this simple message, God, I confess to you the times that that I've strayed and and I, I've turned away from you. Father God, maybe now, even in this space, there's, there's this sense of unease from, because we have turned away from you. There has been this sin that's, that's tempted us, and, and we've given ourselves to things that you would not desire. Maybe, Father God, even in this space, there's this sense of unworthiness. Like, God, you, how could you ever take me back, accept me back, knowing what I have done? But Father God, I hope over and and I pray now that overriding all of those negative voices in our life is the voice of your spirit calling us and inviting us to return to you. Father God, I pray that we would recognize that this is our chance, this is our moments, and maybe there is some hard ground in us, God, that needs to be plowed up. And so, Father God, I trust the work of your Spirit to do that. Convict us and move in us. Father God, don't, don't let a single one of us walk out of this place holding on to sin or to baggage. Father God, you are calling us home. Let us respond by saying, as as your people have through generation to generation, yes, we are coming. So Father God, be with us and bless us as we enter into this time of communion and enter into this time of response. We love you. In your son Jesus' name, everyone together says,